and bienvenue and welcome to The Musical Man, the podcast that shines new light on the Tony Award for Best Musical. Each week we examine the nominees and winners of that esteemed decoration, and this week we'll be discussing A Christmas Story, The Musical. I gotta get it, How are we doing? I hope, as always, this episode of The Musical Man finds you well. I realized that in my my zest, my zeal, my rush to welcome you back to the main feed for the purposes of our Serafina episode, we had taken off a few weeks, and I was so excited to be back with Patty and Benny. Oh, I was nervous. Oh, and I forgot. I forgot to tell you all about Chris and I going to see Tina, the Tina Turner musical at the Orpheum here in Minneapolis. It was really the first major event that we participated in at as new Minnesotans, and we were so excited. Chris is a huge fan of Tina Turner, as am I. The show was fantastic, and there is a moment that sticks in my head. I've told Patty and Benny about this. We're not quite sure if it will translate. I will do my best to describe this moment to you. Uh, (laughs) Here we go. There is a moment, I want to say near the beginning of Act 2, when the character of Tina Turner sings, I can't stand the rain, and there are lots of people in the background walking to and fro. They have trench coats on, dark black trench coats, and they have umbrellas, dark black umbrellas. And the song stops for a moment so Tina can talk into a prop phone receiver from a landline phone. But the the receiver is a standalone prop. We don't see the cord. So she's talking into it. She's having this conversation. But how do you get the receiver out of the mix once that moment passes? Well... I found this to be a very funny piece of theatricality. They try in their way to be very subtle about this, but as the... As the people are walking to and fro, the actress playing Tina Turner has to hand the phone receiver prop to one of the people in this group, but that person then has to very, very discreetly put that phone receiver into their trench coat pocket so that nobody sees you didn't see it. It's the magic of theater. Whoa, where did that phone go? Well, you better believe I had my eye on on that phone. I was, oh, I was a hawk. I wanted to see where that phone was going. And 
<laughs> I don't think the woman who received the receiver, I don't think she was having a lot of trouble getting that prop into her pocket, but I want to say I feel like the pocket could have been a little bit bigger because there was a tiny, a slight, a slight bit of resistance from the pocket as the prop was going into it. I, I always find those things funny. If you, if you have listened to our $1 a month bonus episode about The Notebook, the musical, which premiered at Chicago Shakespeare Theater, there was a very funny moment during that production when... <laughs> <laughs> they had this fabulous rain effect, but then the stage was completely wet, and they tried to have a book scene while, in the background, stagehands dressed all in black had squeegee mops. They were trying to mop up all of the water while a book scene was happening on the apron of the stage. And I gotta tell you, my hawk-like eyes were... <laughs> the only thing they wanted to watch were the people squeegeeing up all that water. That sound was very noticeable. You don't have to be a hawk to hear that sound. That's a mop. That's a squeegee mop. Okay, let's get the show facts regarding today's subject, A Christmas Story the Musical. Show me the show facts now. Jonathan Show was the show facts. Okay, let's do it. The basis for this week's subject is the 1983 Bob Clark film, A Christmas Story, which is itself based on the works of Gene Shepard, specifically in God We Trust, All Others Pay Cash from 1966, and Wanda Hickey's Night of Golden Memories and Other Disasters from 1971. Prior to the development of the musical, Philip Grecian published a play adaptation in 2000 that is often produced at the regional level, but we must not confuse Philip Grecian's play for this week's subject, which is a musical. Is that plainly understood? Okay, good. A Christmas Story, the musical, first premiered at Misery's, Misery's Kansas City Repertory Theater in 2009, where it featured a score by Scott Davenport Richards. That score was dumped. Ah, you're out of here, and replaced by songs from Benj Pasek and Justin Paul, who at the time would have been known for their work on Dogfight, which we covered via the off-Broadway musical series Turn It Off on Patreon, and of course they also wrote a score for James and the Giant Peach, the musical. They had not written No, 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 La La Land. They had not written Dear Evan Hansen. No, The Greatest Showman. Not even Tom and Jerry Back to Oz. Can you imagine? such a time. If you're wondering about the Scott Davenport Richards score, the score that was dumped, ah, you're out of here. I'm pretty sure you can't find it anywhere, not in full at least. You can hear scraps, tiny scraps of it throughout a promotional video from Kansas City Rep, but the audio quality of that video is, uh, it's rough. It's rough is what it is, bark bark. Let us now have a moment of silence so that we may mourn the Scott Davenport Richards score. All right, that's enough. The 2.0 edition of A Christmas Story premiered at Seattle's Fifth Avenue Theater in 2010 before embarking on a national tour and eventually making its way to Broadway. It was a 2013 nominee for the Tony Award for Best Musical. It opened on November 19, 2012 at the Luntfontein Theater and ran for 51 performances over the course of its limited holiday season engagement. It was only meant to run for a certain amount of time. The book is by Josephine Robinette, 
Music and lyrics, of course, by Benj Pasek and Justin Paul. Hello again. Director John Rando, musical director Ian Eisendrath, orchestrations Larry Blank, choreographer Warren Carlyle, scenic design Walt Spengler, lighting design Howell Binkley. Hello, Howell. I recognize your name. Sound design Ken Travis, costume design Elizabeth Hope Clancy. And the original Broadway cast was as follows. We begin with Dan Loria, who for the purposes of the official Broadway cast album was replaced by Tom Wopat. We have Zach Ballard, who for the purposes of the cast album was replaced by Matthew Lewis. We continue with John Bolton. Aaron Dilly, who was replaced by Liz Calloway on the cast album. Love Liz Calloway. Caroline O'Connor. Johnny Rabe, who was replaced by Clark Hallam on the cast album. Joe West. Tia Altenay. John Babo. Charissa Bertels. Grace Capeless. Andrew Christie. Tay Floyd. Nick Gasworth. Eddie Corbick. Mark Ledbetter, a performer who simply goes by the stage name Lily. We have Jose Lucas. Jack Mastriani, Lindsay O'Neill, Sarah Minkyung Park, Pete, a performer who just goes by Pete, J.D. Rodriguez, Annalise Scarpacci, Lara Siebert, Jeremy Schinder, Luke Spring, Beatrice Tolchin, and Kirsten Wyatt. The show was nominated for the following Tony Awards. It was nominated for Best Musical, of course, Best Book of a Musical, Joseph Robinette, and Best Original Score, Benj Pasek and Justin Paul. So, three nominations if you're keeping track, but zero awards. Ah, when all was said and done, that was the Tony Nods section. Ah, for those of you who like to hear the phrase Tony Nods, you were probably thinking, ah, he didn't say it. Is this the only example of a limited engagement Christmas musical receiving the Tony nomination for Best Musical? I believe so. I mean, I'm not seeing any Best Musical nominations for Elf the Musical, or White Christmas the Musical, or Dr. Seuss's How the Grinch Stole Christmas the Musical, a show whose title is so long it leaves me feeling disoriented. But those are the show facts for you. I have no other show facts to share with you. It is now time to talk about the plot of A Christmas Story the Musical. We are gonna burn through this bad boy of a plot real quick. There's really no need to get into the nitty-gritty of it. It's a series of vignettes. The structure is very loose. Here's act one for you. We begin with Gene Shepard, the man whose work is the inspiration for this musical. Gene Shepard is an onstage character, and he takes us back in time. Oh, we gotta go back in time to his childhood in Omen, Indiana. The time? December 1940. If I may just interrupt my own plot synopsis right here at the beginning. We've barely gotten started, but the fact that Gene Shepard provides wry commentary and narration throughout the entirety of the show, I feel like if you put that on top of singing and dancing, it's definitely a hat on a hat. And I know that the narration from Gene Shepard was a huge part of the movie. A lot of people love that part. I get it, I get it, I get it. But for a musical, I think those two elements are competing. If I may get back to the plot. Excuse me, is that all right with you? Okay, Ralphie Parker, aka Tiny Gene Shepard, for some reason, Gene Shepard's child alter ego is known as Ralphie Parker. Oh, he wants, he wants a Red Rider carbine action BB gun for Christmas, and his mommy says, no, no, Ixnay on the BB gun, you'll shoot your eye out, is what she says to him. I'm not getting you a BB gun. 
You'll shoot your goddamn eyeball out. Scott Farkas and Grover Dill. Oh, they're the neighborhood bullies. They terrorize Ralphie and his pals, his friends, Schwartz and Flick. There are a lot of jokes about Schwartz being Jewish. They don't amount to much in the stage show. They, they expand on that. We'll talk about this. They expand upon Schwartz and his family for the purposes of the live TV broadcast. But uh, as, as written for the stage, Schwartz is sort of a... It's like they just get a one-off joke about, hey, he's Jewish. That's why he gets bullied, because he's Jewish. Okay, fine. Ugh. I don't care about any of these characters, so that really doesn't impact me. These these 2D cartoon characters. No, I, okay, if you tell me, if you tell me that's what's going on, fine. Ralphie's teacher, Miss Shields. Oh, Miss Shields, the teacher. She instructs her class to write about what they want for Christmas. Apparently, in the 1940s, if you wrote a paper for your teacher, that was known as a theme. You were writing a theme, and so she says, "I have a theme for everyone." And Ralphie writes about the gun. Thinking Miss Shields will help him out. Oh, if I write a really good theme, Miss Shields will go to my parents and tell them that I deserve my BB gun. Well, what'll happen? I don't know. <laughs> we'll find out soon. And meanwhile, Dad, Daddy Parker, Mr. Dad, he wins a major award. He wins a contest. He gets a major award in the form of a sexy lamp. A sexy lamp. Now, how could a lamp be sexy? Well, it's shaped like a sexy lady's leg. Oh, it's a leg with a fishnet stocking running up from the tippity toes all the way to the yummy, yummy thigh. Oh, and there's a sexy, a sexy lamp shade with fringe. Ooh, it's practically burlesque, that fringe. And the mom is not happy about it, but dad puts it in the window for the entire neighborhood to see. Ralphie says, fuck. He says, fuck is what he does. He says, oh, fuck, in front of his father while helping him change a flat tire. Fuck, fuck. And the dad tells the mom. The dad is a total narc. He says, you want to know what your son just said? He said, fuck is what he said. And mom, oh, she gets so upset. And Ralphie brings act one to a close with the terrible thought that, oh, no, because I said, fuck, I'll never get my BB gun. Act two. Schwartz dares, well, he triple dog dares Flick. You remember Schwartz and Flick, Ralphie's pals. Well, Schwartz triple dog dares Flick to stick his tongue. Hey, Flick, stick, Flick, stick your tongue to this bowl. Huh? I bet it, I bet it'll stick. And Flick says it's not gonna stick. And Schwartz says, oh, okay, if you don't think it's gonna stick, I triple dog dare you to put your fucking tongue on the pole. Uh, well, he, Flick does. He accepts the triple dog dare, and his tongue gets stuck, and the fire department has to come, and he, oh, oh, they grab, they grab Flick by the legs, and they rip him off the pole. Ouch! Ooh, on oh, my tongue. Ugh. Ralphie's paper, his theme, receives a C-plus from Miss Shields. Oh, Ralphie, he thought it was going to get an A-plus-plus. Instead, I got a C-plus. And the teacher, Miss Shields, she writes on the paper in big red lettering, you'll shoot your eye out. Ah, that's just what my mom said. Ah. Ralphie beats the living shit out of Scott Farkas. Yeah, I, I think Grover Dill just watches from the sidelines, but Ralphie beats the shit out of Scott Farkas until the mom intervenes. Reckin' frackin', I'm gonna kill ya. I'm beating the living shit out of ya, Scott Farkas. Ralphie, stop it! Ah! The department store Santa. <laughs> At this point in the show, we decide to go visit a department store Santa who tells Ralphie to fuck off. 
Ralphie says, I want a Red Ryder BB gun. And Santa says, fuck off, you'll shoot your eye out. Oh, you'll shoot your eye out. That's just what my mother said. That's just what my teacher said. And then Mom accidentally breaks Dad's sexy lady leg lamp. Oh, no, I broke it. How could this have happened? An argument ensues. Uh, 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 Christmas morning arrives. I I should say, uh, Christmas Eve is spent with the parents. Uh, they're, They're very upset with each other because of this lamp. And so Ralphie and his little brother Randy, who I don't think I've mentioned yet, they try to fix the lamp, but it doesn't work. The family makes up. They're fine. And then on Christmas morning, they celebrate. Ralphie receives a pair of pink bunny pajamas from his aunt. Oh, I have to wear the pink bunny pajamas. This isn't a gun. This is about as far away as a... as far away as you could get from a gun. Pink bunny PJs. Oh no. But then... What's this? Dad surprises Ralphie with the BB gun. It's a Christmas miracle. Ralphie's first shot, bang, ricochets, bing, and breaks his glasses, clunk. He lies to his mom, mommy, mommy, I broke my glasses when an icicle fell on them. Uh, The icicle broke them, not me, (laughs) not my gun. (laughs) And the mom believes him or she accepts the story as truth, even though she knows that's not really what happened. Uh. <laughs> then the dogs from next door, oh, the, the hillbillies who live next door, they have hounds. They have hounds. Ooh. And they break into the, the Parker's house and they steal the Parker's Christmas turkey. Ruff, ah. And then the Parker's have dinner at a Chinese restaurant and Ralphie falls asleep with the BB gun in his arms. It's the only thing I ever wanted. The only thing I ever wanted. And now I have it. The end. That's it. For the purposes of this week's episode, I absolutely did not bother to rewatch the Bob Clark film from the 80s because I have seen it more than 50 times. I have a younger brother who was obsessed with it. We watched it all the time during the 24-hour marathons that would air every year. And you know what I just realized? The musical skips over that whole drink your Ovaltine bit. I mean, that's probably for the best because the musical is way too long. But I was surprised. Uh, People like the Ovaltine bit. I'm surprised. Uh, What? So I didn't watch the movie. So what did I do? What did I, what did I do? So I listened to the 2012 original Broadway cast album, which is a bit of a misnomer, really, because it features the replacement performers we noted earlier, as well as other members from the 2010 Seattle cast and the 2011 National Tour. So this album is really a true blue Frankenstein of a product, what can I say? But for the purposes of marketing, they did sell it as the Broadway cast album. Fair enough. I also watched the 2013 Tony Awards performance of You'll Shoot Your Eye Out. That's a whole song. The performance begs a number of questions, including how did we land on a Bugsy Malone motif, and how does that add to or enhance the content of the number itself? Why is Miss Shields recast as a sexy vamp who waggles her gams in front of children? Didn't like that. And is this the weakest excuse for a tap break in Broadway history? The song ain't on the cast album, I know that much, though it does appear during the live TV production. <laughs> I will I will give the show the song, I will I will say I will give this song the credit it deserves. I think I do kind of like when the bullies show up dressed as bootlegger gangsters and they say 
They say to Ralphie, they grab him. They, they fucking grab him and they say, C plus, C plus, not an A, not a B, but a C plus. I've been driving Chris fucking nuts all week with that C plus. The articulation, the emphatic plosiveness of plus, plus, plus. These kids are really going for those consonants, those vowels. I appreciate it. It's very, very funny. And then I watched the 2017 Fox broadcast, A Christmas Story Live, which you can rent via Amazon, and so we did. The live TV production stars Matthew Broderick, Maya Rudolph, Chris Diamantopoulos, Shane Krakowski, Ken Jong, Anna Gasteyer, David Allen Greer, Fred Armisen, Tyler Willadis, and Andy Walken. Okay, assorted observations. This thing is instantly irritating and interminable. It runs two hours and 13 minutes versus the original film's hour and a half. It feels so long, so long, and I'm convinced that it was not shot live. No, I think that's a bunch of baloney malarkey. The vocals sound pre-recorded, and the audience we occasionally hear is never actually shown. Numbers end, we hear applause. Where is that audience? They don't even show the audience at the end when we're shown the backstage process. I I think it's all a sham. I don't think, maybe there were parts of it that were technically shot live, but I don't know, the whole thing seems a little bit suspicious to me. It begins with this pop song called Count on Christmas, which was written by Pace and Paul for the purposes of this TV broadcast, and it's sung by some, who is this? Her name is B.B. Rexa? B.B. Rexa? That is an, this number is so terrible and embarrassing. Corporate synergy at its worst. I mean, who made that decision? We have B.B. Rexa. We have to promote B.B. Rexa. Write a song for B.B. Rexa so she can sing it. Will have? Will it have anything to do with the 1940s aesthetic of the show itself? No. It's a completely standalone music video. It stinks. I know that, what was it, the Grease Live? Didn't that start with Grease is the Word as performed by Pink? I feel like they just wanted to do that again, but they actually integrated Pink's performance into the whole the whole process, the whole production itself. It felt like she was a part of that bigger machine. This is, again, very much a standalone product. It's terrible. The production is shot, I will say, like an episode of Cops. Very handheld, very disorienting. The handheld nature of it, the fact that the camera is constantly swinging around, it's direction for direction's sake, and at a certain point I think I... I think I could have just used a bit more simplicity from the from the camera work. Maya Rudolph, who plays the mom of the Parker family here, uh, she may not have the greatest voice in the world, but my God, is she ever winning. I feel like she was my favorite part of the entire production. You would think that I would say maybe Jane Krakowski was my favorite part, but I feel like they had no idea what to do with her. Miss Shields, Jane plays Miss Shields the teacher. The jokes are fucking, God damn, they are so flat, so so terrible, and Matthew Broderick, if I may say, he is about, he plays Gene Shepard, and he is about as engaged here as a man selling timeshare rentals. Ah, Merry Christmas, and for the love of God, stop asking me about what I did or did not do in 1987. Ah. Now my next note, I'm going to be very careful with how I say this, because I don't want to be an insensitive jerk who's picking on a kid, but I have to say that if I'm going to be honest, I really did not like Andy Walken 
In the role of Ralphie, I find he was way too intense. I know that, you know, this kid, this character requires the kid performer to sing very, very high. There are surprisingly a lot of kid power notes for the part of Ralphie. And I know, I get it, when I sang in college a lot of the time, I was accused, I, I rightly accused, of seeming angry because I, I've, I felt very intense. I was pushing these notes out and it resulted in, you know, the, the visibility of your veins in your neck. You get red, you get flushed in the face. And that's what's happening with this kid. And he seems angry and he seems almost confused by what's going on in those moments. And I had to look away sometimes. I had to look away. He, he's not... I really think that they should have maybe kept digging. They could they could have just kept digging with the casting process. He seems like the vocals are, are very good. He's a good little singer, but performer, no, not so much. Interesting to note how the cast can be so diverse, right? The Fox cast for Christmas Story Live is very diverse, but Ralphie, the character Ralphie, must be white. It seems as if that's like a referendum, right? He has to be white, according to some studio prerogative. It's almost as if we all take it for granted. Maybe no one even said that. We just, we, we all just assume, well, Ralphie has to be white. The Parkers are an interracial family. Maya Rudolph is the mom. Randy appears to be, you know, mixed race. But Ralphie, he has to be white as Snow, because Ralphie was white in the movie. Uh -huh. Everybody likes the movie, so Ralphie's not going to be black, Ralphie's not going to be Asian, he has to be white. We shall not budge on this. I find that to be very, very interesting, huh? Tonight's broadcast is dedicated to everyone fighting the California wildfires. That was the first fucking bumper going to commercial. That threw me for a fucking loop, I'll tell you that much. I was sitting there going, what is going on? My God. And then the second bumper for the night, and they're talking about how the dogs that you see in the production are dogs that they rescued from a zoo in Japan. That's a direct quote. We rescued these dogs from a zoo in Japan. What are you talking about. Chris and I could not get over that. Chris is half Japanese. We were just sitting there going, yes, of course, all of those illegal zoos where they have dogs. Yes, the exotic dog. Come, come, come to our illegal Japanese zoo and look at this dog. It just doesn't seem like a very viable source of income for racketeers and criminals. Okay, Gene Shepard, as played by Matthew Broderick, Gene Shepard has a joke at some point early on in the evening. He's talking about Randy, who is Ralphie's little brother. Randy is a very picky eater, and Gene Shepard says, every family has a picky eater, and it's usually the one who does ballet. I'm sorry, what? 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 Is that some sort of childhood eating disorder joke? How did we decide that was a joke worth putting on television? The role of Schwartz's mom is expanded. I, as I said, they expand on Schwartz's family. So his, his mom is played by Anna Gasteyer, and she sings a whole new number that they wrote for this production. It's all about being Jewish on Christmas. But from what I can tell, Anna Gasteyer is not Jewish. I find that to be very, very strange. They go out of their way to cast Anna Gasteyer in this Jewish character role that they're expanding upon, but she does not appear to be Jewish from what I can tell. It's very strange. The song they wrote for Gastire is not a bad number, but it ain't good either. 
And I said this about Schmigadoon, and I'll say it again here. Nobody wants to see kids in their underwear, long or otherwise. Stop it. There's a whole Act 2 number about the kids waiting for Santa to fly over Indiana, and they're dancing in the snowy streets, and some of them have bathrobes, but then Farkas, the bully Farkas, is wearing his fur fox hat and long underwear, and he's dancing with a glowing candy cane. At a certain point, it's like, can we just consider the tastefulness of some of these choices? I don't know. These are kids, and I just don't. Chris and I feel the same way about this. You really cannot, no, you cannot do that. It's kids. The dignity of kids, you just need to respect that and preserve that as much as you can. And I feel like showing kids in their underwear, no, no, no. Fox is so desperate. <laughs> This is my last note. Fox is so desperate to atone for the original movie's Chinese stereotypes. If you've seen the original movie, you know how when they get to the Chinese restaurant, the Chinese waiters sing, deck the halls, but it's in a very racist, stereotypical way that white people are meant to laugh at. Instead of fa la 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 la, they sing fa ra 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 ra. Yes, ha ha ha. Ho, 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 ho. And foxes, as I said, they're very desperate to make up for that, but they're so desperate that they land ass up in model citizen territory. Ken Zhang appears as the owner of the Chinese restaurant. We establish that he is also the owner of a Christmas tree lot and a used car dealership. He's an entrepreneur. And he brings out the waitstaff and they sing Deck the Halls. They sing Deck the Halls with boughs of holly. Fa la 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 la. La, 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 la. And when they are done performing, the dad says, Oh, I guess I was expecting something else. And Kim Jong, he, he gets very accusatory, and he says, Well, what did you expect? What did you expect from our Chinese waiters, huh? You thought the Chinese waiters would be caricatures, huh? How dare you? Like, that's the tone of this joke. Like, oh, you thought they were going to sing fa-ra-ra. No, they sang fa-la-la. We turned the tables on you. It's very accusatory. And then, on top of that, we establish that the waiters are his sons and that they all go to Ivy League schools and they all love America. <laughs> Ken Jong says, isn't this a wonderful country? And the father says, yes, it is. Yes, it is. Thank you. Very brunch. Like, all right. Nobody was asking for this much atonement. He didn't have to even bring it up. I, I don't know. The whole thing is such a mess. I hated it. I was in a bad mood by the end of that fucking live broadcast. It is now time to talk about the score for A Christmas Story, the musical. Let's begin with Counting Down to Christmas. There it is. The house on Cleveland Street. Now! I'm not kidding. Do you want to miss it? My mother in the kitchen, trying in vain to get us bundled up and out the door. Randy, I mean now! Uh, Randy, now! My kid brother, Randy. Uh. And there I am, realizing for the first time that time was my enemy. Goodbye, November. Thanksgiving's gone. Now every house and home and has a plastic reindeer on its lawn. Ralphie, please! The season's starting, I'll give you proof. The Millers bought a nine-foot dancing Santa for their roof. Frank, start the car. The boys are almost ready. But this year, don't need another plaid tie. This year, I want to give my parents won't buy. And I'm running out of time. Cause it's almost nearly getting close to counting down Christmas. It's 34,058 minutes. 
there's my old man. My old man and the neighbor's hounds. Bumpers, call them off! A battle as fierce as the front lines of 1940. You have a mission, you set a plan. No to get that gift, you've also gotta get to your old man. Stupid hillbillies! And then there's mother, she can be tough. But gently drop some hints and maybe that might be enough. Ralphie, let's go! Cause this year wants another wolf. Ooh, let's take the back room. I want a gift, I want to unwrap. If you can, I myself, I, I think I do like the zippity zippity quality of yada da 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 I I like that. It seems to be in the in the traditional melodic sphere, the hemisphere of Christmas songs we've known from the past. Uh, it's fine. I like it well enough, and I hope that you do too, because it's basically all downhill from here. mind just keep on spinning another exhausting climb uphill you always come close to almost winning but there's that one blank you can't seem to fill come on parker you're brimming with skill and brains and knowledge you're hardly a humdrum average joe so you didn't come from some dumb college just focus and think you're practically there If you could get ink In each little square You'd be the genius on Cleveland Street Yeah An intellectual elite <laughs> And you could win an award A trophy for all to see <laughs> Imagine that The genius on Cleveland Street Respect a little recognition for me. What are the jumping reptiles referred to frequently by little orphan Annie? Leaping li leaping lizards. <laughs> I'm not convinced we needed a nearly four-minute song for Ralphie's father, especially one that sounds like a revised bit of fluff from a themed review. You know the sort of review I'm talking about. Uh, it would have a title along the lines of People, the What Can You Do review. All I'm saying is that the genius on Cleveland Street sounds like it came out of Pasek and or Paul's trunk, their old trunk of songs, and I think they fired off a couple of Christmas Story references to throw us off the scent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm on the scent, Pasek and Paul. I am on the scent. You can't throw me off. If I were to move beyond my paranoid and probably baseless accusations, I would say genius is not funny or revealing or substantial. 
It's a little too oblique. Oblique! Oblique for the kitties. Too oblique for the kitties and way too bland for the adults. Not enough teeth, not enough comedic perspective for the adults, okay? These narrative cul-de-sacs have got to be worth our time, fellas. Why is Ralphie's dad working on a crossword puzzle anyway? Why is that the device we use to explore his resentments and insecurities? Anyone who has seen the movie knows Ralphie's dad hates their hillbilly neighbors. Have him sing about that! I want to be a man of means, a man that commands respect, and I will never be that man if I'm living next to a bunch of rednecks. That sounds like a song with some gas in the tank, maybe? Or maybe just a more generalized, broader perspective of, oh, the things that are wrong with my life that make me feel like I'm not a success. I mean, direct the character's energies toward outside forces, other characters, bigger situations, not a crossword puzzle. That's not a good point of focus. His eyes are yellow There's no way they'd be missed That evil laughter And the pound of his fist A species not like any that you've seen Who gives a whole new meaning to a bully being mean He's never had a victim where the uncle routine's been spared That's why we're scared When you're a wimp, you get wise to the ways of the wood Your shrimp have their ties and the game number is known as when you're a wimp and maybe you didn't catch these lyrics i would i for the purposes of really digging into this score i would like to quote these lyrics from the song when you're a wimp ah quote here we go because there are hawks that circle round every day so they can swoop and scoop you up as their prey and you limp like a gimp once again quote what the fuck are you gimp Sorry, what? Say again? I don't believe those lines made it into the live TV edition of this song. 
because I think they fucking figured out that you can't just throw that fucking word around. I feel stupid and ass. I feel like an ass throwing it around for the purposes of quoting the song. You can't use the G word. Fucking shut up. I cannot begin to theorize what we are going for with all of the hey diddle diddle stuff. The kids say hey diddle diddle. Basic and Paul are not putting a spin on the nursery rhyme, God knows, and even if they were, that wouldn't sound right coming from the mouths of 10 year olds. They're 10, not six. Between Ralphie's obsession with the BB gun, I want the gun, and the wimps singing about revenge, we want revenge. I'm starting to wonder who would get the most out of this material. Oh boy. Guns. Revenge against those who wronged me. Guns. Revenge against those who wronged me. Guns. It's, it's not great. It's not great. New stains on the rug. Stray socks on the stair. And piles of papers appearing right out of thin air. But the sheets have been washed. The pants have been pressed. The floors have been scrubbed like a woman possessed. And it's steady, it's stable, a meal on the table each evening because that's what a mother does. Can I have some more cabbage? More potatoes, dear. Sit down to stand up. You're back on your feet. Serve seconds and thirds while you've still got a boy who won't eat. But a mom has her ways. A mom knows her kid. She'll get him to eat without knowing he did. It's just one of her talents. She keeps life in balance amid all the buzz. That's what a mother does. I mean, you have to give it to Pacing and Paul. Truly amazing, boys, how you wrote a song about motherhood that comes this, this close to saying something honest about motherhood before turning on its heel and running the other way. 
Haha, <laughs> it's true. Being a mom is hectic, I have to admit. And yeah, I could talk about how all of this work affects me as a person. How the lack of gratitude weakens my spirit, but I'm just so very busy. With the plates, and the pans, and the BJs, and whatnot. Who has time for self-reflection when you're a mother? A mother's gotta do what a mother's gotta do. Mothers be mothering. It's stupid. It's reductive. It's insulting to women. If you're not going to take me to the next floor, do not invite me into the elevator. We have to go somewhere. Character studies should be more revealing than this. I'm a mom, and sometimes it feels like that's all that I am, and sometimes it's not very satisfying. And thinking about that makes me feel bad, sad, mad. But I'm not just a mom, huh? I'm so much more. See, that's the song. There was no room for that. No version of that. Plates and pans and PJs. Not a fan of the list song. No, 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 I am not. <laughs> What's a bunch of just stuff that a mom would pick up or look at? <laughs> Pots and pans and PJs. Stop it. The exact exchange and nuance of phrase in this ritual is very important. You can stick my tongue to that stupid pole. That's dumb. That's because you know it'll stick. You're full of it. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Well, my double dog dare you. Now it was serious. A double dog dare. What else was left but a triple dare you and the final coup de grace of all dares, the sinister triple dog dare. Triple dog dare ya! Ha-ha! Schwartz created a slight breach of etiquette by skipping the triple dare and going right for the throat. It's a sticky situation cause the flick is just full of hot air. That phrase will raise the expectation now he's got no choice but to end the dare. You can't skip the standard triple for the triple dog dare attack. But Schwartz is up and said it, and there ain't no way of taking it back. It's a sticky, sticky, sticky situation. Sticky situation. Sticky, 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 sticky situation. That's the name of this song. Yeah, nothing funnier than Ralphie stopping a book scene dead uh, to explain via song what his adult counterpart has already explained via narration. We, we, we have Gene Shepard. This is what I'm talking about with the hat on the hat on the hat. You cannot have Gene Shepard, via book narration, say, Oh, the triple dog dare. Let me tell you all about the triple dog dare. Uh, no kid can resist the triple dog dare. It's part, of the, it's part of the kid law book. You have to accept the triple dog dare. And then Ralphie, he starts singing, and he tells us the same thing. It's a sticky situation because the triple dog dare is something you cannot reject. It's in the child law book. Yeah, I know, Ralphie. I know. I... <laughs> Why are you competing with your adult counterpart? Sticky situation, it commits the same error that numbers like I am not dead yet from Spamalot commit, namely taking a perfectly good and more importantly, concise comedic moment and stretching it out like taffy. We never drill down with numbers like this. There's never any interest in finding a new angle on the old routine, routine, routine. We simply flog the audience with repetition until they're exhausted and utterly defeated. It's a sticky situation. Sticky, 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 sticky. Sticky, 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 sticky. Yeah, we <laughs> believe me. I heard you. Sticky, yeah. Look, read it. Congratulations. You have won a major award in our $50,000 Great Figures of American Literature Contest. It will arrive by special messenger tonight! 
Congratulations! You are a winner! The time has come. The day is here. The truth is written clean and clear. I nearly started losing hope. But then I opened up that envelope. Here's the proof I'm someone, I'm a someone very wise. When you're this astute, you get saluted with a prize. You are a winner, those are the glowing words they wrote. It's typed right in their note. But a winner of what? Don't you see? It could be a bowling alley, wouldn't that be nice? A bowling alley? This award is major, they're not skimping due to price. A weekend getaway, maybe Paris with your spouse. An Adobe-style house. But how could they deliver a house? Well, they could deliver a deed for Christ's sake. Oh, Mr. Parker, who would believe the grandeur of the gift that you're about to receive? I won a major award. I won a major award. Who won? I won. It's me. I see. Well, gee, I won a major award. Oh, my God. When I started listening to the track A Major Award and realized that it was almost eight minutes long, I wrote down, oh good, A Major Award is almost eight minutes long. I can't wait. The thing about Ralphie's dad in the original film is that Darren McGavin, who plays the character in the film, he plays the man as largely inscrutable. He's a gruff, closed-off dude. He mutters a lot. He ain't what you would call emotionally articulate. That's why it's so funny when the character suddenly explodes in the face of his outlandish neighbors or begins to gush upon receipt of his lamp. Those fits and starts are fascinating to his wife and kids and us because that's when he appears to be most alive. I like the fits and the starts. I do not want to hear the inner monologue of Ralphie's dad. I don't need that. And I definitely do not want to hear him sing like a maniac, like a real... I'm not exaggerating like a maniac for eight minutes. The more this guy sings, the more I believe he's about to kill his entire family. Dial it back, John Bolton. Catch your breath and look around. There's no monster waiting by. Nothing's crumbling to the ground Nothing's tumbling from the sky Notice how the world keeps turning Life goes on A moment comes, a moment goes And just like that The moment's gone now, Ralphie, go upstairs and lie down. Randy? Hi. Can I come in? What's the matter? What you crying for? Daddy's gonna kill Ralphie. No, he's not. I promise you, Daddy is not going to kill anyone. Want some milk? You would? Oh, Randy, you know nothing's ever as bad as it seems. It never is. If you slip and scrape your knee Think it's never gonna heal 
in a day or two you'll see it's just not that big a deal and you're back to jumping laughing you've moved on the moment comes the moment goes and just like that the moment's gone is, to put it mildly, a five-star performer, very underrated and underappreciated. It's a crime. She brings depth and sensitivity to every role she touches. I should say she's not underappreciated by the theatrical-going community. Theater-goers love Liz Calloway if, if they know what's good for him. I feel like the, the industry itself, the ones who put Liz, who would be able to put Liz Calloway in these shows, I feel like that industry underappreciates and undervalues her. That, that's a clarification that I would like to provide. So, as I said, she brings that depth and sensitivity to every role she touches, but Rafi's mom is a role that refuses to crack open in the face of any actor's curiosity. Pasek and Paul believe just like that is an oh-wow moment for this character when the audience is meant to really fall in love with her, but I just could not stop thinking about the subtext. I can see the subtext as if it were under the frozen surface of a lake. If anyone cared, they could have plucked the subtext out and examined it, thereby making this song something more than a collection of strange platitudes. Because here's the subtext Pasek and Paul refuse to explore. This woman is sad. She is very sad. That's what I think at least, and her opinions on the passage of time that we hear throughout this number. How uh, She talks about how moments come and go and don't really matter. How our biggest emotions have nothing to do with reality and should be dismissed that shit is sad. That advice is coming from someone who does not know how to temper or calibrate their emotions. I don't think that's good advice. What is going on with this woman? A better show, a show that wasn't totally concerned with raking in checks from regional storefront theaters, that show would have treated these characters more seriously. And I'm not asking for August Osage County levels of family drama, but it would be nice if these people were made out of flesh and blood. I don't want to play any of the audio. No, Patty, Benny, take your fingers away from the buttons. 
Put your hands up. This is a robbery. We're not going to hear any audio from up on Santa's lap because it goddamn it sucks. It's a stinky, stinky, stinky number. Santa, I'll, I want to say this, though. Santa does not like the little boy who asks for a Shirley Temple doll. I want a Shirley Temple doll. But you're a boy. <laughs> oh, Santa. <laughs> the gay kid wants a Shirley Temple doll. <laughs> ah, sucks. It sucks. It sucks. It sucks. No one should have turned a Christmas story into a musical. <laughs> That's what I wrote down here. You'd think I would have saved that for my final thoughts. But up on Santa's lap proves, uh, it proves this beyond a shadow of a doubt. No, not everything needs to be turned into a musical. A lot of, a lot of pieces are elevated. They are, oh, how they bloom in the sunlight of a musical. Oh, how they expand. Oh, how they do. A Christmas story, not so much. It wilts. It dies is what it does. If you just make a Christmas story longer, it dies. And at this point, man, I was so ready for the evening to be over. Grab that piece from the floor. Fix it up like before. Take the knee. Wait. Lift it higher. He'll forget that it broke. There we go. Is that smoke? Oh my gosh. It smells like fire. Ah! Here, take the heel of the shoe. We're out of luck without glue. So try again. Nothing fits. This might work. Call it quits. What's the point? Just do the best we can before the old man comes home. There ought to be something we can do to make mom feel better. Like what? Well, for one thing, you could start eating your food without all that little piggy stuff. She'll come back, see your plate, won't believe that you ate. Try to swallow just one carrot. I don't know if I can. Open up, be a man. It's too much. Then fine, we'll share it. Hey, if you just take a bite, they won't remember their fight. All right. Or sit down really quick. I think I'm getting sick. returned later with five bottles of extra strength glue. He worked furiously, but futilely, for at least an hour. At last he gave into the inevitability that the precious leg was lost. Not long afterward, mother returned. Randy and I were in total fear of what might happen next. Look, I just... If I was... What I meant... It's because How on earth it got this way When I said I was so And I tried Yeah, I know Listen, Frank, what I mean to say 
god damn it. Okay, so the song Before the Old Man Comes Home, I have to admit it. This is sweetie, admit it! It's about brothers who are trying to fix their family. Damn it! Matthew Lewis, Clark Hallam, you are playing me like a banjo. Ah, they're so sweet together. Liz Calloway saying, I'm sorry. The way she says, I'm sorry, should be enough for anyone to understand why Liz Calloway rules. She's a fucking queen. The only problem with this very sweet number before the old man comes home is that it totally works as a cathartic finale for the show. It feels like the show is ending because the family has come together on Christmas Eve. The problem being that this is not the finale of the show. We still have like 20 more minutes, I wanna say? Wow, I can imagine the restlessness in the audiences. <laughs> Honey, literally, put on your fucking coat. Kids, put on your hats, because we are bolting the second this thing is done. Back in those days, you never asked yourself, do my parents love me? It never crossed your mind. You were there, they took care of you. Their job was to raise you. Your job was to let them. When they said, don't run with scissors or button your coat, or you'll shoot your eye out, maybe even they didn't know it. But that's what it was. Love. greatest Christmas gift I had ever received. You kidding? My old man. My dad gave it to me. That's why it's the best gift I would ever receive. As the excitement of the day gradually subsided, I finally drifted off to sleep, pranging ducks on the wing and getting off spectacular hip shots. So the, the finale is known as A Christmas Story. Makes sense. Whatever. It would have been nice if Ralphie's final beat in this show, his final emotional beat, was more about the love he feels for his family and less about his love for the stupid BB gun. 
That number where he and his brother are trying to fix the lamp, that is really sweet. And until, it, the only thing that spoils it is that you understand that Ralphie is doing this because he thinks it will get him the gun. Everything that Ralphie does in the show is about getting that fucking gun. And they, I would have appreciated a turn, a bit of growth for the character where he does something completely unselfishly. I get he's a small kid. He's a small, selfish kid. But kids in, in shows, they need to teach kids who are watching the shows a lesson, a good lesson, and clutching a gun and saying, oh, my... My daddy, oh, he got me the gun. What a great Christmas. That's not a lesson. My dad gave me the greatest Christmas present ever. My dad, the old man, my dad. What about your fucking mom, Ralphie? You think maybe she did some stuff for you? I know that, I know there's a moment where he's like, oh, I, uh, after that, I never, I never looked at my mom the same way again. My mom and I sure did come, we, we did get close. Uh, but at the end of it, it's my dad got me the gun. That's the only thing that matters to me. My dad got me the gun. Fuck off. <sighs> That's all I have to say regarding A Christmas Story, the musical. It is now time to hear from our fine, fine sponsor, 5678 Coffee. Take it away, 5678. What's going on in here? I can't see nothing. Where am I? I can't even move around. Where am I? In a coffin or something? It's dark and dry and scratchy. What it was I buried alive? Oh, I'm dried out. Well, I could use some. I could use some five, six, seven, eight coffin. Oh, what's that? Oh, my eyes. There's light coming in. Someone's breaking me out. Thank God. What's going on? It's a man. My God, it's a man. Oh well, that. Hello, there. How did you? How did you? How did you? <laughs> oh, you're picking me up. Oh, where's my lampshade? Oh, a lot of do, a lot of dee a lampshade for me. That's right, mister. I'm all yours. Oh, oh, what's that back there? I smell, oh, your wife, oh, your wife. You have a wife, huh? She's putting on a pot of five, six, seven, eight coffee. Oh, you better get some from me. You understand? Oh, I'm in charge now. I'm a sexy leg. I'm a sexy disembodied leg connected to a fucking light bulb. And if you want to turn me on, I'm not going to get turned on unless I have some of that coffee. Oh, you can touch my fishnet stockings at night if you want to. But but only if I get that rich mountain taste. I want that rich mountain coffee. Pour it all over me. Make my circuits explode. Ooh, you're my savior. You're my masculine man, daddy. Oh, yeah. Oh, where you going, daddy? No, don't go. Don't go to work. Your wife. Your wife. She's going to kill me, daddy. She's going to kill me, daddy. Help me. Oh, here she comes. Here she comes. Oh, what's that? Oh, dear God. Oh, dear God, no. Help me, daddy. Help me. Dear God. When you see me again, it won't be me. This is the waiting room. Why you wash some coffee?
Final thoughts regarding A Christmas Story, the musical. I mean, maybe it's my fault. I wanted a little bit of fun home or falsettos in the soup, in the stew, in the mix. And I suppose that was unrealistic. Yes, okay, I'll admit it. <laughs> he admit it! A Christmas Story is corny and commercial, and there's nothing I can do about that. I have to review the show as it is. Ah, so I might as well shut up about it. This show does stink, though. I make no mistake about that. Now, in 2013, the winner of the Tony Award for Best Musical was a show we've discussed in the past. It was Kinky Boots, of course. And the additional nominees that year were Bring It On the Musical and Matilda the Musical. A lot of the musical. <laughs> that was in all of the titles except for Kinky Boots. Oh, if only Kinky Boots was known as Kinky Boots the Musical. Kinky Boots, you shall continue to slay. I will not ask you to sashay away. No, no, no. You shall keep the medallion for Best Musical. Yes, yes, yes. We only have one more show in this set of nominees. Matilda. Matilda. When are we going to talk about you? I don't know. I don't know. What I do know is that it is now time to rank A Christmas Story the Musical against all all of the other shows we've talked about here on the podcast, I'm going to put you all the way down at number 123 between I Love My Wife at 122 and Take Me Along If You Love For Me at number 124. Now, as a reminder, if you want to check out this ranked list of ours, go to twitter.com slash musicalmanpod. You can find the spreadsheet. Uh, the second tab of the spreadsheet is where our ranking information is located. How do you get to the spreadsheet? Well, if you go to our Twitter likes, that's one option. It's in the Twitter likes for twitter.com slash musicalmanpod. But you can also access it via our link tree. Ah, the link tree is also available via Twitter. Twitter.com slash musical manpot. Not at all confusing the way I just explained it. Show-related ephemera, I don't have anything to play for you today, but I would like to acknowledge the fact that Bob Clark's A Christmas Story has no less than three direct sequels. It's true. The first is It Runs in the Family, which was later rebranded as My Summer Story and stars a young Kieran Culkin. A Christmas Story 2 is the second official sequel. I believe that went to direct to video, and that depicts Ralphie as a horny teenager. Yes, because that's what I always wanted to see. And he daydreams about punching Nazis. I've seen it once it's it's terrible that the fact that he daydreams about punching Nazis so he can impress the girl that he's horny for oh it's terrible and of course there is the 2022 HBO Max offering nobody bothered to watch a Christmas Story Christmas I am convinced a Christmas Story 2 ran for 24 hours on the Country Music Television Network but there is no evidence to back up my claim if anyone knows what I'm talking about if you can affirm <laughs> Confirm or deny my theory that this actually happened. I won't make anyone listen to the trailer for A Christmas Story 2 because life is precious, but you should know they say the phrase the official sequel several times, as if we won't believe them. The official sequel! Like, okay, put down the knife, let's be reasonable about this. To determine which show we discuss next, we'll need to take a ride on the musical carousel, otherwise known as the random number generator I named after that classic Rogers and Hammerstein show, Mr. Lyrics. Everyone ready? Then away we go!
The next subject of the main feed is a 1963 nominee for the Tony Award for Best Musical. It ran for 555 performances. The name of that show is Stop the World, I Want to Get Off. Stop the World, dash, I want to get off, but there's no exclamation point in the title. Now, that's weird, right? Stop the world, I want to get off. That sounds like an exclamation point worthy statement. Instead, we get nothing. Stop the world, I want to get off. Okay, fair enough. Go to patreon.com slash musicalmanpod to find out how you can support this show financially. As a reminder, 100% of every monthly payout is donated to the Planned Parenthood Action Fund. You can donate one, three, five, or ten dollars a month. One dollar a month will get you Monday early access to all of these main feed episodes, as well as a verbal shout-out each and every week. Thank you so much for donating at least one dollar a month Caroline, Helena, Greg, Andy, Elizabeth, Aaron, Jason, Jack, Vitor, Sydney, Katie, Elena, Anton, Ross, H.G., Jared, Eli, David, Dave, Christopher, Neil, Brian, Robin, Liz, Carrie, Maddie, Jonathan, Marques, Rob, Shauna, Shiante, Roberto, Jordan, Ashley, Chris, J.C., Jenna, Aaron, Lily, Haley, Brandon, Brad, Matt, Zach, and Marisol. You also get 19 bonus episodes covering the 73rd Annual Tony Awards, the trailer for the film Cats, The Little Mermaid Live, the film Cats. We do a full review of the film. Emma at Chicago Shakespeare Theater. Take Me to the World, a Sondheim 90th birthday celebration. Hamilton via Disney Plus. Documentary Now, original cast album, co-op. John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Bunch. Jingle Jangle, A Christmas Journey. Dolly Parton's Christmas on the Square. Harlow the Alligator Boy. The trailer for Steven Spielberg's West Side Story. Vivo. The Tony Awards present Broadway's Back. Diana, Annie Live, The Notebook at Chicago Shakespeare Theater, and Beauty and the Beast, a 30th celebration. But we're not done. One dollar a month patrons also get all 12 episodes in season one of Radio Boy, a series for which I check in with myself via the non-musical theater songs that make me feel more like myself, and you get the entire, ooh, the kit and caboodle that is M3, the movie musical man. That's 16 episodes in a series for which we watch trilogies of movie musicals that are tied by common themes. Three dollars a month will get you everything I've already noted, plus a musical shout-out in the style of a character, actor, or composer of your choosing. All ten episodes of Wildcats Everywhere, the high school musical podcast. A special one-off all about season one of Julie and the Phantoms. And right now we are producing a brand new show known as TV VIP. That is dedicated to TV musical shows, okay? We've already talked about Schmigadoon, and next week we're dropping episode number two, which is all about Central Park, the Apple TV Plus animated musical show Central Park. What does $5 a month get you? Well, it gets you everything I've already noted, plus you get to stop the musical carousel and determine what show I discuss on the podcast. It's true. You get seasons one and two, that's 24 episodes of All I Ask of You, an advice show hosted by the Phantom of the Opera, all 14 episodes in our Broadway in Chicago review series, and volumes one through five of Shout About It. These are collections, compendiums, if you will, of five, six, seven, eight coffee ads and uh, musical shout outs, yes, from the first 125 episodes of the podcast. 
Finally, $10 a month will get you everything I've already described, plus exclusive announcements regarding future subjects of the main feed, all 12 episodes in Season 1 of The Snub Club, a show dedicated to, uh, what, what is that, Broadway shows that were not nominated for the Tony Award for Best Musical? They were snubbed? Ah! And you also get all 12 episodes in our Turn It Off series, which is, as I already mentioned, all about off-Broadway musicals. If you're listening to the show via Apple Podcasts or Podchaser, please leave a five-star review if you pretty please. Stream the show via Spotify, Stitcher, Audible, Podbean, musicalmanpod.podbean.com. Follow us on Twitter at MusicalManPod and email me at MusicalManPod at gmail.com. Thank you, as always, to Patty and Benny in the booth all the way back there in Chicago in the Stage Left studio. Thank you so much, Alex Green, for our beautiful logo. Thank you. And Zach Little, thank you for our fabulous intro and outro music. Oh, oh, you know what that sound means? Yes, just when the fun is starting comes the time for parting. Oh, well. We'll catch up some other time, specifically on the next episode of The Musical Man. So long, farewell, off Wiedersehen, and good night.